Got Your Ears On is brought to you by Tactical Legion Knives. Live from the campus of Top Radio, under the direction of Guido, Scoot, and Johnson, it's the pride of podcasting. It's Got Your Ears On. All right, everybody, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Got Your Ears On. Guido here along with No Scoot. And Johnson. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> uh, Scoot is uh, missing this week in action, but as uh, as we said, this March Madness, we have Brent Solheim join us again. Brent, thanks for being back in the studio. Thank you. It's good uh, to be here, but, uh, you know, depressing yeah. as well. Yes. Under bad, under bad circumstances. Wish, wish it was under better circumstances. So uh, I guess we'll jump right into it and just WVU drops in the round of 32 to Syracuse, 75 to 72 in a in a in a tough loss after, you know, the Moorhead State game. Huggins gets his 900th win. Uh, WVU starts off really slow in the first half against Moorhead State and then comes alive in the second half. And it's the WVU that we have seen you know, flashes of all season where they just, they played really well. The ball movement was good. Um, they were still allowing points in the paint, but at less of a clip during the Moorhead State game. Um, and so, you know, that game felt good. I finished, I finished Friday night and I was like, Hey, it's almost one in the morning, which is ridiculous to have to stay up this late and watch it. I mean, Brent, did you make it that late? I did. You know, I was actually planning on taking a nap after work, but I, I didn't get around to it. But, uh, you know, it's March Madness. It's the best, to, at least to me, the best sporting time of the year. Not hard to stay up. If that was a regular season game, there's no way I'm watching it. But uh, <laughs> uh, Mountaineers, Mountaineer, or Midnight, uh, Midnight Mountaineer. March Madness. I'm I'm definitely staying up for it. Yeah, and then it more more difficult to go to sleep really after that game because I felt really right. good. You know, we were all kind of jazzed up. We took care of business and on to the next round. Deuce has. I mean, I mean, we got to talk about it a little bit before we get into the Syracuse game. I mean, Deuce on Friday just had an amazing game, and I, I and really I thought he was going to carry us all the way through the tournament. I mean, thirty points on Friday. Just uh, a, a great game. I mean, six rebounds and just played lights out that that for all 35 minutes that he was on the court. Hey, for a point guard to get six assists and uh, zero turnovers while playing 36 minutes is is impressive. And add 30 points to that. You know, he is, he is definitely the best guy on the court. No doubt. And I, I saw a tweet from Keenan Cummings uh, over at Rivals, and he said, WVU players that have – Multiple games of at least 30 points, six rebounds, and six assists in a single game. Rod Thorne, three times. Jerry West, three times. Miles McBride, twice. That's, That's the list. That's crazy. That's amazing. Great company. Yeah, great company. Um, so, you know, and on top of that, I mean, Jalen Bridges, freshman, has a great game as well. You know, 15 points in his first ever March Madness NCAA tournament game. So that's, you know, that's pretty impressive for him. And Guido shot the lights out. Six of eight from the floor, three of five from three. He played a great game. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, that, like I said, the first half I felt like, and Huggins said it in his pregame interview with Tony Caridi before the Syracuse game, that he thinks it was just a little bit of nerves. That first, the first, you know, 10, 20 minutes of that game was 
just shaking off a little bit of those nerves of playing in your first NCAA tournament, you know, on the big stage, big TV, true TV, nationally televised, whatever. Um, and so it was a great win. And then, you know, we knew going into that game, if we won against Moorhead State, that we would be facing up against an old Big East foe and another member of the 900 win club, Jim Beheim, in Syracuse. And then we play Syracuse today. Well, and Syracuse had just gotten finished really frustrating San Diego State, who, you know, Coach Fisher and San Diego State, the Aztecs had a really good team. I really kind of, you know, in the brackets I filled out, which are now I can set on fire and toss into the backyard, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, I had them all... I think in, I filled maybe three brackets out. I had San Diego State moving on in each one of those just because I thought they're well coached. They, you know, they had racked up a lot of wins, and they also tend to average quite a bit of points a game. They were really frustrated against Syracuse. And so when we ended Friday night knowing we were going to have to match up against that 2-3 zone, I'm not going to lie, I started to have like just a like a, you know, a hollow feeling in my stomach because you knew that – certain things then had to had to be clicking on offense to to have some you know to make them move to have some success against that yeah i had i had syracuse winning um against san diego state and then obviously us uh beating syracuse and and after the illinois loss today i'm like man things are set up great for us to get to the final four and then uh syracuse comes out frustrates us with that uh, two three zone couldn't figure it out. You know, we were feeding the high post. That's the open spot on a, on a two, three zone and guys that don't either don't want to shoot the 15 footer or can't shoot the 15 footer. And that, that's what was a little bit frustrating for me is, you know, a guy like Isaiah Cottrell, if he's there, he might make the difference in that game because he's a guy who likes to, you know, hit that open shot and Culver earlier in the season, he would get that high and a lot of times he would feed it low to Oscar, and that option's no longer there. So, um, oh, it was just it, it was it was frustrating to watch, but uh, we made some good adjustments and you know came back, but you know just c- couldn't pull it off. Hey Brent, I know that I know that preparing you know for games in the NCAA is completely different than any other situation because you know these are teams that you don't see at most you know especially from 64 to 32 they the first and second round you know you don't really have a you might have a walkthrough but you don't really have a true practice in between and you know you have all of that going on I, I don't think we faced anybody else who played a zone like that this year um and but Bayheim's been playing that zone since I don't know the 70s like I feel like that's Syrac- that's been Syracuse for decades is that that defensive setup and I just don't understand, or what's the challenge, you know, for a team to, you know, prepare for that when they know what they're going to see in less than, you know, 48 hours. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. And and what's what's frustrating for me is uh, it feels like the last five, seven years, it's the other teams that have had to adjust to our, you know, full court pressure, press Virginia, physical style of play. And we just would blast some teams that aren't used to that. Now, here we are you know, uh, a little bit different team than we've had in the past as far as, you know, full court press, press Virginia, all that. But we're coming in with Taz Sherman, Sean McNeil, great outside shooters. You know, Deuce can hit them, Jalen can hit them. And I'm thinking, man, we're just going to rain threes on these guys all night when they're packed in their 2-3 zone. And they did not play it like that at all. They they pressured our threes. Uh, they gave us the high post, and we couldn't take advantage of it. And, uh, 
You're right, though. If we have if we have a week to prepare for them, we're probably going to look better. But when you got literally one day, um, I'm sure they had some kind of practice yesterday, but one day to prepare for that and even come up with a game plan. I'm sure the coaches were watching film uh, prior to that game, you know, before the Moorhead State game uh, to get prepped. But anyways, the, it's difficult when you run into a uh, a unique defense like that and uh, a team like that, that practices it all the time and plays it so well. Yeah. Larry Harrison said in the interview after the Moorhead state game that he had the San Diego state prep and Ron Everhart had the Syracuse prep. And so they went into it the whole week before and prepped for it. But still you turn around in one day, Johnson, and you try to prepare for, you know, playing a team like that. And I don't, and like, I mean, We've seen a couple of zone, you know, defenses through this season, but nothing like what Bayheim runs. Yeah, and I think Brent hit it on the head. That's what I was kind of peppering him with text during the game too. Just not so much, and I'm not going to knock on any of our guys. I mean, look, our guys scrapped so hard in the second half. I was super proud of them for for getting it back within a possession. So there's no, there's none of that here. But I I kept waiting on them to cycle through and figure out who that confident person was going to be at that, you know, foul line, foul line extended, getting that pa- that entry pass, and then doing something confident with it. I, I kept talking to the person I was watching the game with. Like, that pass was there every time down the court. You could tell that's what we were going to force. You know, we were determined to attack the middle of that zone. But people would catch the ball. I thought early um, – they were putting Gabe in a tough spot because suddenly you're kind of like Gabe had two or three drives to the basket trying to do something with the ball. And I thought, you know, that's really unfair to Gabe because that's not something we normally ask him to do. And then we started to flash other people through, but no one was catching the ball. I felt confident in what they were going to do after they caught the ball. You could see some people, I thought Culver was in on that too. It's like sometimes they got the ball and I felt like they must've felt like they were so open when they turned to the basket, they were like, Oh, well, now, like, now what do I do? You know, and you saw people kind of like short arming shots or they'd go ahead and sort of like hesitate drive and they'd get a charge or something. You know, it was it was so awkward. And I think that's what Brent talking about raining down threes. I came into the game really expecting Taz Sherman and Sean McNeil to just barrage people from the perimeter. And we we seemed like at least at least throughout that first half completely dedicated to trying to attack the middle of the zone and and we just couldn't quite get it it was there but we couldn't quite get it together but and i agree but i think where i'm confused in this game and brent maybe you can shed some light on or maybe it's something that i missed but you know i thought that that's what we we would start to attack the middle of the zone but then Derek only played 20 minutes and it's not like he was in foul trouble he only had two fouls you know gabe played five minutes more than he usually plays he played almost 20 minutes so it it was kind of a you know I was surprised at how much you know, that we saw Gabe in the game. Like I get it, like down the stretch when we put him in for defensive reasons, but I mean there were uh, uh, very very rarely this season have we seen them feed the ball to Gabe in the block for shots, and that's what ha- happened multiple times tonight. You know I, I was I was getting frustrated a little bit watching it, and uh, you know we started out going inside to Derek early, and he, he was not effective. Uh, when he was on the bench, I felt like we were a better team. So, you know, it, that's tough for Hugs to take and, uh, you know, an all-conference type player with Derek Culver and, you know, put him on the bench because we're playing better without him. But I, I felt that was the case. 
we were trying to force it into him. And a lot of the times when you're playing an inside out game, you pass it inside, the outside defenders collapse to help out. Then you kick it out. Then you get your open three point shots. But, you know, Culver was getting the ball, had some awkward moves on the inside, was getting his shot blocked, was turning the ball over, forcing passes. And uh, I, I felt like we were better with Gabe on the court, even without his scoring. Yeah. And it, you know, it, and it's, it was a situation there tonight where I felt like nobody could get it started. I mean, even there were points in the game where I thought, man, Taz has got open shots. He's and then he's and he's passing off the ball. Like it just felt like I don't know if they were so confused by or just thrown off by this defense, but it just really it really showed tonight. Yeah, and I think um, thankfully, I bet if you if you compared first half stats and second half stats, I don't have it broken out in front of me like that. It, it had to be a drastic change because I felt like in the second half when we did when we did start taking confident shots when we did start heating up, um, you know Sean McNeil started started making threes from like Upshur County, um, you know we really started to to get back in the game. I think Taz specifically, you brought Taz up. I think he's probably frustrated because for him now he still had eleven points, but I think for Taz, you know he probably he'd probably like to have a couple of those shots back, but I thought he did a great job creating uh, movement. Like he had a couple terrific drives to the basket, trying to make the zone move and try to get guys out of position. So um, I just think overall that first half was just maddening. Um, not only at, at us not being able to get anything to go down, but to scoot, you know, scoot and I were, texting back and forth guido you know on our on our text thread and one of scoot's comments was well look there's no way they're going to keep up this pace on three-point shooting well well they did guess, it got guess, worse guess what they uh, it got worse they ended up the game 45 percent from three which um which just seems crazy now we we actually ended 42 percent because i think you know we were we were leaning on it pretty pretty hard on the three-point shot later in the game but i think whenever they needed that big shot you know we would cut it to two or tie it up. You know, we hit a big three to tie it at one point. They immediately took the lead back out to six. I mean, it was like anytime they needed that basket, man, they got it. Well, and it's weird because, you know, Buddy Bayheim went six for 13 for three, but Sean McNeil went seven for 13. So Sean McNeil shot threes better, but, you know, it just felt like Buddy was hitting those threes at the right time. Like those were just, it was right at a good momentum shift. When he hit those threes, it felt like the hoop was six feet wide. Like he could, I mean, it just, it's, it, it's one of those situations where, you know, I don't know how you, how you combat against that. I mean, and on top of everything else, I mean, they shot, I mean, we only shot 26 three point attempts. They shot 31 three point attempts. They were 14 for 31. Um, and they, you know, and they, between him and, uh, what's the other guy's name? 11, a uh, Gerard, uh, yes. you know, yeah. You know, they, they just shot lights out. Yeah, and Brent, the other thing, too, I thought, um, you know, as hard as we scrapped back in it, really turning up the defensive pressure affected them way more than I thought. You know, they there were there was a time maybe around four or five minutes left. They literally couldn't get the ball inbounded, and I really thought we were going to be able to, to use that to bring it all the way back. And right before we started the show, Guido and I were kind of talking about this this last foul that was called on Kedrian, you know, where two guys are going for the ball. Um, I'm not saying like, I didn't leave the game thinking about that call, but in the moment when they called that foul on Kedrian, it was more disgusted that they, 
sent Buddy to the line when you know he's such a good foul shooter. But right. at the in the moment, I thought, oh, you can't you can't call that right there. You know, like yeah, just I, make it I, a no call. It, not that I, you know, there was plenty of contact, and I can see why it was called. But I, I just thought, oh, don't don't call that right there. Let's not end it this way. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, on the replay with slow mo, um, it did look like Buddy caught it first, and then Kedrian made some contact. And you know, as as much grief as um, everyone gives referees, a lot of the time they get it right in those split seconds. I think that was the right call at the time even though I don't want it to be. Um, but they, uh, it, it, it's tough when it comes down to that, though. You, when, when there's that much contact, you almost have to call something. You know, a lot of the times that people say, let the, let the players decide. But when there's that much contact, there's a, there, there almost has to be some t- a, a whistle blown and and some type of call and i bring that up too because i think generally speaking guido this was a pretty well refereed game i didn't spend you know i i genuinely spend some portion of the game really complaining about referees i don't really feel like i did that this game well and i think uh, i agree and i think that a lot of the time it's hard as a fan not to think that like every foul that they call is ticky tack like i feel like there are times where you know especially when you're into the game and it's a close game and you don't want the officials to be the ones that, you know, dictate the momentum or the shifting of the game and you get frustrated by, oh, that's a ticky tack call. Why they, you know, let them let them play. Um, you know, I feel like when you go back and you look at it, like a lot of the times those are good calls and those are calls that should be made. And we'd be mad if it was the other way. Um, so, you know, it's hard. And it's just it's one of those situations, Brent, where it's like, you know, this is a team that. I'm not going to – I said earlier to Johnson before we got on, but I'm going to take it back what I said, which is I said this team is, was as good as the 2010 team. And I don't know if that's true. I think that 2010 team was phenomenal. And there was – that you know, I think this team was as good as – and I'll bring it up, the 2016 team, if not better than the 2016 team. And I just feel like it's another one of those situations where it's right there for us to get and then it's just – snapped away from us you know so easily no i think that's fair i I would say you know uh john flowers uh, on this crazy video he posted one time he was asking coach huggins who was better the final four team or press virginia and uh hugs kind of danced around a little bit and um you know said that minus an injury the press Virginia team was as good as the final four team. And then uh, flowers got all over him and said, well, what he's saying is we were, cause you know, <laughs> injuries aside, we were better. Uh, right. I don't think this team is as good as the final four team because they just had so many weapons, but I, I think it's comparable to the press Virginia team that, you know, did not make it. Did, where, where do we make it? The elite eight, I think. And then lost right. to Gonzaga. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I, I think it's there talent wise. I think we're comparable to them. You know, you got Deuce and uh, um, the Bulldog. Well, why can't Javon Carter? You know, it's somewhat comparable. You know, Javon a little bit better defense. Miles probably a, a little bit better offensively. Anyways, yeah. you know, we got Culver. We got some great shooters. I would compare them more to Press Virginia, although the styles were different than I would the Final Four team. Guido, I think you're compelled to say that, though, because the shooting abilities on this team were so enticing for a change, you know? And I think 
tonight is one of those conversations where we kind of knew the defense of this team could be uh, like, I don't want to say an Achilles heel, but kind of a weakness if, if things didn't go our way. And I kind of think that's what we saw tonight. I mean, Syracuse took advantage of, you know, their, their ability to shoot and, and our ability to not always, you know, be running people off the three point line. So, but all in all, I, you know, I think, I hate it for this team just because I felt like the potential was through the roof and I thought the bracket shaped up to, to really be advantageous for us. So it's a tough loss. Um, I always feel like, <laughs> like I want to go just jump off the roof after a regular normal season law, you know, so this always hits so much harder and we're in the moment talking about it and it just feels bad. Um, but I, I'm also kind of hoping, and I think we'll probably talk about this after the break is, it, you know, if, if you want to look at the bright side, there's a lot coming back to this team and, and, you know, there's a lot to look forward to, I think. Well, and I think, and, and I'll go back to your bracket thing, because I think that's the thing for me that kind of sets me on edge the most out of everything else is that, you know, we were given a gift at a three meaning I think ever all of us the week going in after the lost Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament like we were all thinking okay it's a four we're a four I hope we don't slide to five but we're a solid four and then we get this three that we I think most people were shocked about you know and I get it our wins I mean those road wins were good you know I understand how the committee sort of makes that selection um, but on top of being a three we also then get put in this bracket which is of of all of the of all of the you know east west south east west all the <laughs> parts of the bracket like i was like oh this is great like it's a gift you know for us to have this line to at least the eat elite eight um that looked pretty solid and then i'm watching basketball today and sister jean and her you know crew there knock off illinois and i'm like oh my gosh like we could get this could be our this could be another final four year like look at this path to the bracket i mean is i mean houston's going to end up winning against ruckers but you know we've got this path to the bracket and then it's freaking syracuse stops us in our tracks you know and i think that for me is what just like makes me want to throw my phone across the room it's definitely a missed opportunity. I could not agree more with the way the bracket was set up with the uh, Illinois loss. I mean, perfect opportunity, and we just couldn't take advantage of it. But to, to uh, you yeah, know, pile, pile on what Scott said, like, I feel like I just lost that, you know, like I lost the game. Like, yeah, this is probably maybe the first time since I played that I was like, you know, we're in the locker room after the game and everyone's just down and, it feels like us three were we're we're there and we're part of it. <laughs> well, we say that because like every time when when this happens, it's like oh now we got it. Well, now we've got a podcast that we have to do for five months before football starts. What are we going to talk about? Like yeah, and, and hey, it, let's it, talk. Let's talk about what re- kicker they recruited this year. Let's see if we can get him on the show. And when Johnson texted me and said, "Hey, we're going to do one," I was like, "Oh man, this is like talking to the reporters after you lose." You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, too funny. 
Yeah, so, I mean, the only thing that could have made it worse is if Rutgers had beat Houston. Houston ended up holding off Rutgers, so Houston now will face Syracuse in the next in the Sweet 16. But if Rutgers had won that game, I would have, I would have been done with it. I would have been like, no more. No yeah, more. and I feel too, like, and then we can move on. But I feel too, like, just the fact that it's Syracuse, I almost feel like after we lost the pinstripe bowl, you know, it's like, ugh, these guys. Right. Why does it have to be uh, these guys? You know, I... I that's yeah. part of it too. I was I was amped up to to play Syracuse, and I, I think that makes it even a little bit more um, painful for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, let's take a quick break. We're gonna come back and talk about what is the future of this WVU basketball team. What will happen next? So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Got Your Ears On. Vortech Knives is a West Virginia-owned and operated company specializing in high-quality steel, fast-opening, everyday carrying knives. If you go to VortechKnives.com today and use the code G-Y-E-O, you get a 25% discount on your entire order. That's Vortech, V-O-R-T-E-K, Knives.com, a West Virginia-owned and operated company specializing in fast-opening, high-quality, everyday carry knives. Vortech Knives. All right, everybody, welcome back to Got Your Ears On. Guido here along with Johnson and Brent Solheim. So Scoot is on vacation this week, not going to be able to make it to the show. He is traveling to the wonderful city of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, So don't forget, you can look for us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on there at Got Your Ears. Also search for us on Facebook, Got Your Ears On. We're on all the social medias, so find us there. So guys... Season's over. WV, you know, this is the toughest part about the NCAA tournament. It's it, unlike football where there's a bowl game and you know it's going to happen and it's going to, after that game, it's over, you know, and it's all scheduled weeks in advance and you know it, you can mentally prepare yourself. Basketball, on the other hand, is the complete opposite 90% of the time, and especially if you're a team like ours where you're like, it, you don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to happen and it's going to be a heartbreaker and it's going to kill you. So now we've lost in the second round, the round of 32 for the NCAAs. No more basketball for us this year, so we have to start thinking about next year. And nobody loses eligibility this year. So technically, you know, even though Taz and Gabe Osaboyan are seniors, they still retain a year of eligibility and can come back. And then everybody else already had eligibility. What does this team or what's the potential of this team next year well i think it's interesting that really it's those two names right that it's it's interesting to try and picture the team without them and it's exciting to think of the team with them back because i think we saw tonight the effect that gabe it's so funny to me and we've talked about this all season and we talked about it a bit last season how much of an impact gabe has for someone that really doesn't average a bucket i mean he I think tonight he had at one point zero points, eight rebounds, and I don't know how many assists he had, but he he impacts the game with his defense, with his effort, with his rebounding. So, and I think when you think about Taz, he's been to me like the other half of that uh, Sean McNeil coin. You know, like oh, if you want to try to d up and and lock down Sean McNeil, well, hugs like he did tonight. There's a lot of times where he'll just put them both in the lineup, and it's kind of like a a pick your poison we always have an option too even if deuce isn't hitting shots so to me 
I'd love to see them both come back. I think that would be super exciting. And I think the expectations would be even higher than they were this season. All right. So I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here. So if you're, I'm just looking at the team of who's going to be coming back. Um, you know, Sean McNeil, he starts, he gets 36 minutes. He, you know, he shot 15 times today. He, in my opinion, he's absolutely coming back unless if a Kentucky or someone like that where he grew up, you know, offered him or whatever. Emmett Matthews, you know, this is his third year. I was expecting more from him, you know. Um, I, I'm a little bit on the fence about him possibly leaving. Uh, Miles McBride, he's the man on this team. He's not going anywhere unless if people, you know, get in his ear and tell him he can play in the NBA. Um, Taz Sherman, now there's a guy that, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of Beetle Bolden. Um, and Beetle obviously ended up transferring. But Beetle was, you know, the go-to guy when he transferred. But Taz is coming off the bench. He gets a lot of looks. But if Sean comes back next year, does Taz start? Uh, does, do, do you start Taz, Miles, and, and Sean and go really little? I don't think you do. No. So I, I, I would put most of my money on Taz entering the portal next year and then looking to have a really big year and then, you know, play professionally after that. Now, Brent, I know it's changed since you played, but, like, at the end of a season, when a season ends, like, what is the process where a player starts to look at other teams? Like, we have this transfer portal system now where they put their names out there, but, like, what for a player, what is it that they go, hey, I think I need to look to go to transfer and go somewhere else? I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll just speak for myself here. Like my freshman year, you're 900 miles from home. Um, you know, you, you come to campus, you don't know anyone, but you're immediate friends with the team. I, if the University of Minnesota or University of Wisconsin would have said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll put you on scholarship, I probably, you know, would have, would have thought long and hard and talked to my parents about, hey, should I, should I move closer? You know, um, they didn't, obviously I'm glad I didn't, uh, everything worked out, but you know, I think homesick plays a part of it. Um, I think uh, one other thing too, is every person on the WVU team, everyone that plays division one basketball, their whole life revolves around basketball. So if you're, if you're coming off the bench or if you're not getting the minutes that you think you should, I think that's probably the number one driver. Cause your whole, a lot of these guys, their whole self-worth is wrapped up in their ability to play basketball. And that's, that's what they're known for. And without it, you know, what are they, you know, obviously there's a lot more to everyone than just the, the game of basketball, but some people get so wrapped up in it that they need to be the star. And if they're not, or if they're not going to be the chance to be the star, then they're going to go somewhere else. Well, and I think that's, that's what plays into it for me. And I mean, like, I think it would be naive for any of us, you know, any of us WVU fans to think, Hey, this team stays a hundred percent intact into next season. Like there's going there, I mean, it, it's, there is going to be a situation where somebody's going to enter the transfer portal if it's not to be closer to home or to be at a school where they, you know, like Beetle, you get more playing time when you go to Alabama, you know, whatever that might be. Um, but I look at this team next year and I'm like, I can tell you right now what this, what I think the, you know, starting five is probably going to look like, which is going to be Deuce if he stays and doesn't go pro, which I can't, he's not ready to go pro. And I know somebody's going to try to get in his ear about it, but 
He needs he needs one more year. It's going to be McNeil. It's going to be Culver. And then I truly believe that it's going to be JB and Isaiah Cottrell coming back off of his injury, and that's your starting five next year. So then you look at a guy like Emmett Matthews, who I love and I would not want to see leave, but does he have a better chance to go find another Power 5 school that maybe struggled this year? You know, I mean, Alabama didn't struggle this year, but kind of, you know, Beetle found a school that he knew he was going to go to and get way more playing time than if he stayed at WVU. And so that's where I look at Emmett Johnson and I go – I'm not sh- like maybe the portal is where he ends yeah, up. Yeah, and I I would hate that. Honestly, I would really hate that. I I think Emmett's a great guy. I think he's been a great player on this team and I think he's been a great like um what am I trying to say? A great morale guy, a great, you know, morale booster team guy. I think he's one of those guys you want to have on the team. So I I would hate that. I think the only thing that makes me lean to the possibility is is what was said about the closer to home comment, for example, you know, we know, we know Emmett's from Tacoma. Um, so if anything, that would, you know, it wouldn't, to me, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that if, if he does see some maybe hedging on the time he was going to get on the floor, then it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities. Maybe that, you know, somebody out West, um, you know, were to pick him up. I, I would hate that, though. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah, he's been here for three years, so that that homesickness is should be about wrapped up by now, and, and you know, Morgantown may be more home to him now than Tacoma. I know I certainly felt that after three years. One other thing about Emmett, though, uh, I'm pretty sure he dates a senior on the gymnastics team, so she's going to be out of here next year, so <laughs> that might be incentive for him to leave. I mean, look for a nice California school. Or, yeah, right, go who out, who go knows back. Where, where she's going to end up, and maybe he might follow. Who knows? Another name to me that I look at this team and I go, might be portal bound. A guy who's you know would technically be a senior next year is a junior this year, Jordan McCabe. And it's, and it's kind of more – it's even more like the Beetle Bolden situation in a lot of ways because Jordan is a really good ball handler, has a lot to offer a lot of schools, just doesn't necessarily fit into this system right now. And I look at it and go, well, you know, he could go, and I don't I don't know what school, but he could go to a school where he will start, you know, and there's a lot of schools where he would start, D1 schools where he would start. And then, you know, up his stock to go play in Europe or wherever it might be if that's, you know, what his ultimate goal is. Yeah, I I don't see a whole lot of playing time in Jordan's future. I, I actually, you know, Deuce, I hated to see him get on the bench, even though he what, did play 37 minutes this last game. I hated every time he came off the floor. Um, Kedrian Johnson, way better athlete than uh, Jordan. I see him being a lot better next year uh, in every every part of his game, except for maybe defense, because I he I think he's a strong, super strong defender, the kind of defender that Hugs likes. Right. So if he understands the offensive uh, sets more uh, and, and and becomes a better scorer, I I don't see a whole lot of playing time for Jordan. So unless he's gonna just be the uh, you know, guy who uh, accepts his role as, you know, ninth or 10th man and wants to focus on, you know, what he's going to do post-college basketball, whether that be, you know, something with social media or something like that. Um, I don't know. I I see him coming back and finishing his career here. That That's that's what my gut tells me. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because you're talking about a player who 
is not even two years from being, you know, a starting five player every game. Like he was, you know, he was starting in 2019. He was starting five every game. Yeah. And I think it's just funny the way lineups evolve. And I, you know, just like we would have never thought in the press Virginia days, we'd be playing a, you know, a high, a high up tempo shooting, you know, raining three pointers, a lot of games um, like we did this season. So I, I, I think that's interesting. And I think, I think like Brent said earlier, it's the one thing I am excited about is to see uh, Isaiah Cottrell come back healthy because I think that impact for next season could be huge. I, I think, I think the impact of not having him in some of these games down the stretch was enormous. So I, I think that's another thing to look forward to next season is what kind of impact can he have, um, you know, along at least being able to either play along with Derek or give him a spell. You know, a lot of times we'd go to, to Gabe this, this season, knowing that you're not going to get the same offensive output. You get tons of other stuff from Gabe. But I think it's exciting to think about, you know, what what could Isaiah Cottrell bring to the table? And I know it's really interesting to think about, you know, moving forward because it's such a different world now with everybody retaining their eligibility. So essentially every team could come back 100% intact next year. We know that won't happen. We know there are the Cade Cunninghams out there that are going to go to the NBA draft and will affect, you know, those, you know, teams and, and their standing. Um, but we don't really have a player like that. And you look at it and go, well, okay, so W. let's say we do lose one or two of those guys, maybe the two we talked about, to the portal, and then WVU retains everybody else, Deuce decides to come back. Are we a top 10, top 5 team next year with this with this group returning? I think we're a top 10 team. Um to jump into the top five might be a little bit of a stretch. I think if I think we would start the season top 10 and if we rattle off, you know, five, six, seven, eight games to start off the season, then, then you might see us move up into the top five. But uh, I, I love that we're even having this conversation. I know. Because you know, a couple of years ago, you know, um, let's go back to when I played 1998. That was the first time we went to the Sweet 16 in 30, 35 years. And now it's like, hey, are we top five or are we top ten? Like, <laughs> great. So we've gotten so spoiled since, um, you know, uh, Beeline and then Hugs. These guys have have us so spoiled that, you know, we're really down. We 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 had a had a great year. You know, circumstances. You know, under the circumstances, but to to be sitting here talking about if we're top five or top ten team, we've got a great program and. Uh, I'm happy whatever we're rated at next year. I, I'm just like you. I suspect we'll lose one or two people, but I think most of this squad will be intact coming back, and uh, I expect to have a monster year next year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I was gonna say, I was gonna say top fifteen, maybe like you know closer to ten than fifteen, Guido. But regardless, I think it's a it'll be a great jumping off point um, for what would seem like another year where the expectations or are probably even higher now that these guys I mean unfortunately for them I guess right because we always keep high expectations but now that they'll have another year under their belt it seems like even higher even higher expectations and then I guess to and I and I don't believe if you know this is just 100 percent pure speculation and me talking to talk but Huggins gets his 900th win you know he's He's WVU coach for life, and we all know that. Like, that's his deal. Like, they're going to let him coach till however long he wants to coach, and then they're going to let him be whatever, coach emeritus. Uh, but 
when do we start talking about? Because you know Shane Lyons, Brett, has a list on his desk right now. It's it's in a drawer. It's under a couple pieces of paper. But there's a list of guys who would be the next head coach at WVU. Um, you know, when do we start to worry about, you know, Bob Huggins, 66, right, 66 years old, 67 years old? Like, when do we start thinking, hey, when's when's Hugs going to hang it up? Uh, I'm with you. He gives it – or he'll no longer be the West Virginia's coach when he doesn't want to be. Uh, and, and he's earned that. Um, he's absolutely earned that right. Um, how, how much longer will that be? You know, I would say I would give him till probably 70. I can't imagine him coaching beyond 70. Maybe he would still want to, but, you know, so we're talking four more years. So, so that list, once he decides to hang it up is, is not going to be a, 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 a super big list, but you're right, Shane Lyons. He's not doing his job if he doesn't have a list of people that, you know, that he can at least call immediately an interview. And, you know, that list has got to be Joe Missoula, you know, assistant coach for the Boston Celtics. It's got to be Zach Spiker, um, Morgantown native. And, uh, you know, there, there's a list of, of West Virginia people. But, you know, if you look at the football hire, it, it was not a it, Brown was is not a West Virginia guy at all. So no. I'm, I'm confident that Shane Lyons would bring in a, a great coach, whether it be uh, someone who has West Virginia ties or not. Right. I mean, you know that next coach, it's not going to be a situation where it's a a guy off the street. I mean, it's going to be a proven coach. We're, a, you know, we're, we're, we're not a blue blood program, but we're not out that far outside of that ring, I guess. No, no it's uh. This, this would be the kind of job, yeah, it's not Kentucky, it's not Duke, but uh, it's certainly not a stopover job either to, uh, you know, bigger and better things. Um, right. is, is it a better program than Michigan? You know, Beeline left Michigan uh, from West Virginia. I, I, I don't know. Michigan might have more history, uh, but uh, we're certainly a big-time program now, and, and this should not be someone that's looking to use this to jump off to something bigger because, you know, the facilities West Virginia has – uh, maybe not the media because we, we don't have the, the major cities right here. But, uh, you know, th- this is a tough program to uh, to beat. And if you win here, you're a hero and, and you're not, you know, looking to get fired immediately like some of the other programs like in Indiana or, you know, some of these other programs that have unrealistic expectations that have won in the past. Yeah, Brent, I agree. Like, it, I think it's just one of those things where, you know, Huggins will be here until he's not here, you know, and I don't want to think about him leaving, but I also feel like there are times, especially after losses like this one against Syracuse, I just start to think about, I start to think about him leaving and I start to think about the program changing and the changeover of the program. And yeah, it's something Johnson that, you know, we, we need to mentally, pre- I feel like it's, you know, it's a, it's a negative day. So let's just mentally prepare ourselves for all the bad things. Yeah. You kind of went in both feet on that. So it's funny that you would bring that up though, because I tend to think about that after losses like this, I think you're like, Oh man, I wonder how long hugs is going to feel like continuing to do this. I think you guys are both right that it's his job until he says, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. But um, yeah, I kind of don't want to think about it. I'll be honest with you. And I, I hope it's, I, I'm just going to think about next season where I'm assuming he's here and I'm just going to, and I'm just going to go forward. Dude, I, I'm such a big hugs fan. I hate the thought of him leaving. I, I really do. I, yeah. you know, there's a lot of coaches that come in and, you know, this is from a little bit selfish perspective for myself, but there's a lot of coaches that will come in and, you know, they don't care about the history of the program. They don't care about, the former players, they want to come in and win. And, you know, it's all about, you know, the future and the, the 
people or the, the, the kids that he's going to bring in that are his guys. And, you know, Huggins has followed the West Virginia team, even when he wasn't the coach. And he, he knew who all of us guys were And the, some of the first things he did was invite us back to midnight madness, uh, set up uh, alumni weekend where we can all come in and hang out. And after the games at, uh, you know, Kegler's uh, they would always have food for us and he would always show up win or lose. And uh, he, he, truly cares about the program he has you know felt everyone that played before him feel welcome and and I you know I I can speak for myself and a lot of the other former guys that have come back that uh we all love him and want him to stay as long as possible well and I think it's one of those things and and like we were spoiled through let's be honest I mean we were spoiled through the 80s and 90s with both football and basketball coaches in the sense that you know Gail Catlin and Don Nealon they it just they were entrenched in the state of West Virginia. And and I think that, you know, you had two coaches there who, you know, I mean, one who played for WVU basketball and then came to coach WVU basketball for a long time. You had another one who came, you know, into WVU as a football coach in the late seventies, early eighties and kind of built the football program to what it was and changed the look of look of it. And so and then we got into the 2000s and we got these coaches who I think were some great coaches. I mean, Rich Rodriguez was a homer, but, you know, I, and it, it it showed that obviously that wasn't what he, you know, he wasn't there to be a West Virginia lifer. He was trying to better his career. You know, John Beeline, same thing. Like, I don't think anybody when we hired John Beeline thought he was going to be a lifer. We knew that we were a stepping stone from him to something bigger. Um, and then I don't even want to talk about Dana Holgerson, but that's another conversation. <laughs> but so now, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, as West Virginians, uh, uh, you know, and Brent, now that you've been in the state for 30 years too, you know, this like, it's one of those things where it's just like, we associate ourselves so much with the school and the people who lead the school that it's like somebody like Huggins, who is West Virginia through and through and always will be. You know, it's hard to replace him. It's hard to ever think about who will be in that role. So the, this job is unique where um, I think we value loyalty as much as we do winning. You know, we, we yeah. want people who want to be here. And uh, it's frustrating when you get the Dana Holgersons who come in and, uh, you know, it's very obvious that they don't want to be here. And they're saying, hey, we can't win with West Virginia kids and stuff like that. And, you know, Hugs is not only – doesn't put the, the state down, but he, he absolutely builds them up. You know, he does charity events for the miners and, you know, he, he's the, the, the fish fry supports what the miners and then the, uh, his um, mother's cancer fund. So he's just done right. so much for the state. He's been so good for the state and that that's why people love him. Yeah. And then that's what, and that's what we want to continue to, to have here is people. We want to cheer for people who love us. And Hogs definitely does that. And I think that's a lot of people feel that way about Neil Brown right now, too. I mean, he's got that same sort of mentality on the football side of thing. And and that's what that's what we want. Yeah, It'll he's be definitely doing all the right things anyways. All right. Well, that's a that's going to be what we're going to call that a wrap, Johnson, on basketball season. Yeah, I think so. Unfortunately, we were hoping we were going to have um, Brent on to talk about all kinds of more fun stuff. But you know what? Uh, this too shall pass, Guido. We're yes. um, you know, we feel it feels bad right now, um, but chin up. Uh, I'm 
going to try to now pay attention to the rest of this tournament that I suddenly feel like I don't care about anymore. And yeah, uh, I mean, are you guys going to, are you going to be able, Brett, to watch any more games? Are you, I know you're a, Mar you're a March Madness, you know, lover, but like now what? You got to watch Syracuse play <laughs> in the Sweet 16? Like, come on. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll watch their whole rest of the tournament, you know, not as avidly as I would if West Virginia was playing, but, uh, you know, I'll probably turn off the the games all disgustedly after <laughs> after they're <laughs> over with the remote. Just go to bed. I'm certainly not staying up till midnight to watch any games, but uh, I'm still a fan of the game. I'll still watch you know a lot of basketball for the next couple of weeks, but uh, I mean, not with the same anticipation. I mean, we record this on Sundays, and I know that we're all excited to watch Gonzaga play Oklahoma tomorrow on Monday because uh, we just <laughs> we just want to see Oklahoma get. Pounded, pounded by Gonzaga. I'm feeling like I'll become a uh, a supporter of the Ramblers, maybe for Loyola Chicago, and then who yeah. doesn't like the Oral Roberts University right now, Guido? I think right. those are probably two schools. I'll just try, you know, I'll just have fun um, hoping they continue on. That's part of the tournament I love anyway. It just it's such a gut punch to see us exit. Um, but yeah, I I'm I'm hoping that we have we have just as much to look forward to with this team next season. Well, I'm going to do the typical West Virginia fan thing, which is now I want to see Syracuse win the whole <laughs> darn thing because then I feel better about this loss. I'll be like, well, yeah, we lost. We lost to the team that won the national championship. Well, yeah, duh, we lost to the champion. Well, I mean, we're practically <laughs> second place. I mean, yeah, it's like you know, if we hadn't had to play them, we would have been yeah. in it. So. <laughs> Brent, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, you're welcome. Hey, and I, Guido, I got to piggyback on that right there. You don't know how many times that I've talked about our '98 season when we lost to Utah. That uh, I follow that up quickly with, oh, but Utah lost in the national championship game, <laughs> and we gave them the best run. So yeah, right. See? I, I'm with you. I'm I'm cheering for uh, Syracuse to do well and, and make <laughs> us look well. Yeah, right. That's exactly that's exactly right. Well. Fred, don't worry. We're still going to harass you and have you back on the show, especially as we get closer to basketball season, maybe a little bit of preseason talk. And, and you know, we might make you come on and talk about football. What the hell? <laughs> uh, hey, I'll, I'm willing to come on any time. You know, this is a lot of fun for me. Obviously, uh, to use a, a, <laughs> a business term, I, I might be an SME for uh, basketball, <laughs> but I, right. I enjoy yes. watching a uh, subject matter expert for you. Folks out there, but yeah, uh, that's right. That's a subject matter expert for many people. <laughs> Certainly not for football, but uh, I like the game. I played some in high school, so uh, I'll 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 be here whenever you guys need me. We'll bring you on. You can break down every punt for every game for us this season. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, stick around. Johnson and I are going to come back and just wrap up some West Virginia stuff that we need to do uh, before we end today's show. So uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Got Your Ears On. Tactical Legion Knives, a West Virginia-owned and operated company that specializes in heavy-duty tactical knives and gear for the professional warrior, the weekend warrior, and the outdoor warrior. Our products are built tough. For who? For warriors. Hey, Mountaineer fans, make sure you go on Amazon and search Tactical Legion Knives. And when you do, make sure you put in the promo code 25TOBRADIO for Tob Radio you'll get 25% off on Tactical Legion Knives. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to Got Your Ears On. Guido here, along with Johnson Scoots, out this week. And, hey, listen, don't forget, check out our website, gotyourearson.com. Got a big sale going on in the merch section right now, so you can get that pullover guy shirt to celebrate Bob Huggins' 900th win. You can go right there to gotyourearson.com. And Johnson's got plenty of other stuff there, too. Oh, yeah, so each week, uh, as you guys probably already know, we always post the latest blog post with all the show notes of stuff we talked about. Uh, you can also listen to the latest show right in the sidebar on the website if you want to click on that link. And then, like Guido said, all the links to the latest merch are there, uh, so check it out. Yeah, check it out, gotyourearson.com. Well, just a couple of little things before we wrap up this week, one of which is to congratulate the WVU women's. They won in their first-round game against the Lehigh Mountain Hawks, 77-53. to And, man, Johnson, they shot the lights out. 54% from the field, 53% from three. And uh, just a great game, a great win for them. They actually move on to the second round to face a number fifth ranked Georgia Tech team. So good for them. Gondrasnik had 26 points uh, on that game against the Lehigh Mountain Hawks in their round one game. So awesome win. At least, hey, WVU right there, still in the, still in the bracket. Yeah, hey, it's still March Madness. Still there. It's still there. So definitely check that out. WVU baseball team also kind of keeping things going. Uh, with them playing uh, this weekend in home, they, you know it, it's been kind of cool, Johnson. Uh, we've watched, we've got to watch a lot of games on ESPN Plus this season. Yeah, which is which has been fun. And so, as much as we love to hate ESPN Plus and the four ninety nine, I think it still is a month. Um, you actually get a ton of great content. And if you haven't look, first of all, if you haven't been following. The baseball team, we we the last few seasons uh, have been following Maisie's guys um, really closely. It's super fun. If Scoot were here, he would tell you all about going in person to uh, to watch them last year in the in the big tournament. So, uh, first of all, get get on the the wagon of following those guys, and then Guido, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of these games, which in the past you never would have been able to do that, you can stream it uh, and watch it live. It's pretty cool. Yeah, WVU dropped two of three this past weekend against Coastal Carolina, uh, and they play Marshall this week in Huntington, and then they start their Big 12 season next weekend against Kansas. Kansas is coming to Morgantown for a three-game series. All three of those games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're on ESPN Plus on the Big 12 Now Network, so definitely check that out. Right now, the WVU baseball team is 8-7 and seven overall. They're no longer ranked in the top 25, but they'll get back there. But uh, definitely check it out if you get a chance. Well, Johnson, we'll be back. We're still going to do shows. We'll be back next week. We're going to talk about our brackets. We're going to talk about whatever's happening in March Madness. And we're also going to start prepping for the WVU football spring yeah. game. So Be here before you know it. That's happening. Yeah. There's football to talk about. Scoot will hopefully be back next week to join us, too. And we'll bring Bluff the Fluffs back for everybody to listen to. Sweet. And See who knows more. You guys are tied up now. Yeah, so, it's you know. knotted up. Make sure you check that out. Thanks, everybody, for downloading. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Got Your Ears, and also look for us on Facebook, Got Your Ears On, as well as our website, like we talked about, gotyourearson.com. WVU finishes their basketball season with a loss against Syracuse. Tough loss, 75-72 to in the second round of the NCAA tournaments. But... It's all going to be okay. Next year, going to be an amazing team. Yes. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week with another show. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Got Your Ears On.